0: If you haven't been with us this whole time throughout the season of Easter, we've been walking through the book of Revelation, and we've been doing this as a means to remind ourselves that God is telling a pretty amazing story. We know the beginning of that story, and with the book of Revelation and with the prophets, we see the end of that story. And as Ashley Matthews pointed out on the midweek podcast, um, knowing the end can be really helpful, specifically during trying seasons like these, difficult seasons or disconnected seasons. Uh, to know that number one, God is at work in the world. And number two, we have a place in that story. So today we're going to continue that conversation by looking at the last chapter of the book of Revelation, the very end of the book. Now, when we talk about heaven, it probably brings up all kinds of thoughts and ideas for you. Um, If we took a poll of 20 of you, and we told you to tell us what is heaven, what would you say? We'll probably get back uh, 20 wildly varying accounts of what that could look like. And it makes perfect sense. I mean, we've been fed a steady diet of heaven ideas uh, throughout our entire lives. Um, it's the subtle images, the things that, that, that we take in. Um, it's in our uh, music. It's in our literature. It's in our film. Um, creating kind of a cultural understanding of what heaven it is. So what is that general understanding? Well, most people would say uh, heaven's a place that you go when you die. I think most people understand that, That believe in heaven. Um, They believe they'll see their loved ones there, right? Um, Everyone pretty much knows what direction it is, what direction is heaven. It's that way. It doesn't matter where you are on earth. It's always that way. Um, Even in space, still that way. Um, Still the same thing. Um, I talked to a few friends and asked around and got some funky uh, responses. And one of the responses was someone said, I think we become angels. I'm not quite sure. Maybe wings and angels. Um, only to come back possibly in a romantic moment to help someone make pottery uh, or play on a field of dreams or something like that. There's, there's a uh, pervasive idea of heaven within our culture. One of my favorite heaven conversations uh, came a few years ago in an interaction between the Bishop N. T. Wright And Stephen Colbert, I don't know if you saw this, but N.T. Wright was invited onto his show to talk about his book, Uh, Surprised by Hope. And in that book, uh, he talks about heaven. So he had mentioned when he got on the show that there's a skewed view that we have of the afterlife. In particular, none of us really quite understand what heaven is. And Colbert responded in such a brilliant way. Uh, He said, no, I have a very specific view of heaven. Uh, You get a harp, You get a mint julep and you get to ask Ronald Reagan questions throughout eternity, which I thought was such an awesome, uh, awesome way to look at it. And I'm not saying he's totally off the mark, right? Uh, That could very well be part of what the heaven experience is like. Uh, But what I am saying is that we're all over the map, right? Over the ages, we've traded a truly robust understanding, at least dialogue about heaven for something else, something that's devoid of mystery and beauty. And we fashioned it into something that was a much more manageable, not here. Um, an escape, a way to get away. Um, something that sounds a bit more Gnostic maybe, uh, but not the Judeo-Christian understanding that's been passed to us down through the church fathers and mothers. But as we sit with these final two chapters in Revelation, we're confronted and we're challenged with a much deeper, more full and complex vision of what's to come. It's not just about going to heaven. No, no, no. It's about paradise being restored. What I want to explore for the next few minutes isn't exhaustive. We're not going to get into everything. This text is huge. Um, But what I am going to do is just share a few things that the Lord is teaching me, primarily around what this vision meant to John in the early church, very simply, and what it possibly could mean for us as well as the people living this out in the here and now. So I want you to take a moment now to put on your imagination hats, just like you were back in school or at home staring at your computers. Um, and I want to uh, walk us through the text that we have today. John has just taken us on a journey. Heaven has joined with earth. Heaven has come down and heaven and earth have become one. The new Jerusalem is the center of existence. And that's here on earth. He begins by noting in this text that there is no temple, no church in this world. Uh, for some of you, that makes you really happy, but there's a, there's a reason for that. Um, he also tells us that the gates, the gates of the city are always open. So nations and kings coming and going from the city. He tells us that Christ is the light, which is why we need no temple. We need no uh, church any longer. Christ is in the center of everything and he illuminates everything. So there's no need for sun or moon and there's no more night, which for some of us sets in really well. No more dark seasons. Pretty beautiful stuff. So with your imagination hats on, we're going to look at Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb, and in the middle of the street of the city. On either side of this river is the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, producing fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Nothing accursed Will be found there anymore. But the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will be no more night, no more need for lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And then he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. For the Lord God, the Spirit of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must take place. See, I am coming soon blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Let's pray. God, we invite you into this place and we thank you for your word. God, quicken our hearts and open our eyes. Give us eyes to see what you're trying to teach us today about heaven and our role to play in this new world. In your name we pray. Amen. Such a powerful image, right, that we just saw of heaven. Uh, We don't talk about it enough. I think we've spent a whole lot of time. I have a great imagination for hell. I could talk about that forever because that's all we talked about, uh, at least my memory growing up. I knew a lot about the the landscape of hell, not as much the landscape of heaven. Um, And this is really a beautiful thing because after everything we've been through in John's vision, the violence, the strife, uh, dragons, uh, angels, uh, scrolls, lightning, and thunder, it all crescendos into this place. The new Jerusalem, the new heavens and the new earth with creation finally at rest. The images he's describing here uh, are so much more though than just heavenly landscaping. God is weaving together an image and he's taking us on a journey back to the beginning. And the echoes of this are all throughout the text. What we're seeing here is nothing less than the reversal of the great curse of the Adam and Eve story. We know the story really well, right? Adam and Eve had committed our ancestral sin. And since that day, creation has really lived with the effects of this curse. Sorrow, pain, friction between the sexes, hard and futile work that we have to do, and ultimately opening up the door for death. But here in John's vision, we see that things have all been put to rights. Rather than an angel blocking the way to the garden, we now find find gates that are wide open. Nations coming and going from the city. Humanity welcomed back into paradise, into the garden. Now we eat from the tree of life. And instead of dying when we eat from the tree, we live, right? He even tells us there's 12 kinds of fruit growing on this tree and that there's fruit every month. And the the idea, or at least the image that he's painting is constant provision, right? He was only in the vision for a moment, but obviously he got this from the angel or from someone that was telling him there's constant provision coming to the people. We drink from the water of life as it flows from the throne of God. Ezekiel had a very similar image. If you've got extra time and want some extra credit work, uh, uh, you can go into Ezekiel chapter 47. And he tells a beautiful story, almost the same story, maybe a little blurry. Um, But what you see in this story is he tells us there's a river flowing from the throne of God. And wherever this river flows on the earth, what happens? Life happens, right? Right? So you get, it kind of invokes this image of the Narnia stories, right? Or the Lord of the Rings or any fantasy that you can imagine where a curse is broken and life springs forth from the earth. He even tells us that when the water touches salty water, it makes salty water fresh. Um, And there's so much in that. But God is renewing and redeeming the earth. And we see this here. And he closes out this thing by talking about the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. There's no more toiling, no more struggling, no more uh, nation against nation, but the world is at peace. As the canon of scripture starts with this sad story of paradise lost, it finds its conclusion in the new heavens and the new earth, with paradise regained. And these would be powerful images for anyone, but for John, for John, these images were so much more. We know that he was exiled on the Isle of Patmos for refusing to bow to Caesar. He was tortured, he was abused, uh, he watched all of his brothers become martyrs. Uh, and his sisters die at the hand of Rome or at the hand of of people that were angry with the church. And here he is in this lonely place um, on the Isle of Patmos when God decides to pull back the curtain of eternity and to give him a glimpse of what was happening on the other side of this veil. To him in the early church, this vision was pointing to a time when imperialism would end, when God would return to the central source of power and life in the cosmos This vision of creation renewed stood in stark contrast to where John was, right? To the oppression and inequality that he was experiencing. It was nothing less than a declaration to John that Rome would not have the final word. God had done a work and it hadn't been fully revealed yet, but we were right on the brink. And if John had any doubts at all in this moment, um, it wasn't a question anymore of if, uh, but it was a question of when. And this is kind of where we find ourselves, right? Right? And the here and the not yet. Uh, Sometimes we need to be reminded, just like John, to reset, reorient our minds and hearts. Um, If you've ever worn a VR headset before, I know probably like two people in this room are understand what I'm saying. But if if you've ever worn a VR headset, uh, sometimes your alignment gets off, right? So you were facing this way initially, and now I'm kind of facing down here and trying to do something on my headset. And there's a button that you press on that headset that brings everything back up to where it's supposed to be. The book of Revelation, in particular, this vision, is supposed to be that button um, that kind of puts things back into perspective for us when we feel a little lost. Because let's be honest, life has a way of kind of knocking us about. Um, When we think we're heading one direction, uh, all of a sudden we wake up one day like the prodigal son and realize that we found ourselves somewhere else, uh, somewhere less It could be your career that was going on a good path and then something happened that threw you off. And now you're wondering where it went wrong. It could be your marriage that you've invested in for so many years and that, uh, due to lack of trust or, or breaking promises or, uh, anything you can fall out of love and you've got this brokenness and you don't know how you ended up here. It could be addiction. Uh, we've had a, uh, ton of people that have been uh, hit with an epidemic of overdoses in Atlanta recently. I've lost se- I have lost, know several people that have lost their lives recently. Um, it's, it's heartbreaking. Um, we don't mean to get into that place. Um, sometimes we do it for fun and then we find out uh, suddenly we're, we're locked in, we're trapped. It could be an abusive situation that you find yourself in by no fault of your own, uh, but now you're here and you've lost hope. It can be disheartening. You can feel alone and maybe disoriented. And although you may not be a political prisoner or a religious refugee like John, that doesn't change the cry of our hearts that long for restoration, to see the other side of that curtain and to know that everything is going to be okay. And that's what John wants us to hear here, is that there is a deeper reality at work. And in the end, all things will be made new. Death, divorce, addiction, depression, these do not have the final say. Now, simply knowing that doesn't change the fact uh, that we're in that situation, right? And there's often hard work for us to do as people um, to repair broken trust, to break destructive habits that are in our lives, to really deal uh, emotionally with deep pains that we've got in our lives. It doesn't fix those things, but it does change our perspective. What John's vision does is call us not only to hope for a day somewhere far off where we get to walk in the new heavens, what John is inviting us to do is to live today like it's already present on earth. One commentator put it this way, which I really loved. God's not just in the soul rescue business. He's redeeming all things. He made us to be makers, image bearers, taking up the God given labor of culture making. He's passionately concerned for justice, for the downtrodden, championing the oppressed and the persistent presence of widows, orphans, and strangers. This is what it means to live as heaven on earth, to be kingdom people in this age. But what does that look like practically? Um, I believe it's a call for us for two things, one for prayer and one for action. Prayer is very grounding, right? That's why prayer is so important. Um, and as we're speaking about alignment, prayer really is that thing that kind of pulls us back, puts us back online, keeps us aware. Pray this way then. Our father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This prayer that we pray every single week, it can become monotonous, right? Just kind of flows through you. You just say the words and you don't really think what you're saying. Um, But this prayer calls us to long for a day or a reality where the boundaries of class and race, family, brokenness, um, addictions, they all give way to new creation. In church, we're called to pray for this. We're called to seek after it, the joining of heaven and earth, the renewal of all things. These are not empty prayers, but these are deep-seated truths that sometimes we just need to speak over and over until somewhere in us, it finds root. Our vocation then is to pursue our role in bringing that to life, making heaven a place on earth. So you didn't even know Belinda Carlisle was onto something with this one. Um, that's a song. I don't know if you knew that or not. Um, So it's a call to prayer, but it's also a call to action, to live in this tension between the now and that day later on. We've got kingdom business to do in this moment. And the parables are full of this, stories of someone leaving and then us waiting and having work to do until the master returns. We've got work of restoration, of healing, of forgiving. And that starts today. It starts in our families. It starts in our work relationships, the people that we share life with. It starts with our political opponents. Um, Think people that we disagree with, um, people that we have ideological differences with. For what good is it to long for a day where things will be made right if we're unwilling to do the hard work of bringing it to life in our world? I ask that you would pray that the Lord would highlight these opportunities for you. Um, He's done that for me. And uh, that you would spend some time this week meditating on this. So what could the Lord be asking of you? Um, have you allowed cynicism to steal your imagination? Have you lost heart or stopped believing that, that, that there's something more out there for us and believing and hoping that people can change and that God can come in and do a work? Are there relationships in your life that need to be redeemed or healed? If so, those are really good places for us to start as people. We know that this isn't easy work, but this is heaven work. This is what heaven looks like. Now, there are a few amazing tools that we've got for you on your journey. Uh, there's a wealth of knowledge um, by going back and listening to the sermon series on the book of Revelation. I've been going back through and kind of just taking it in. There's also midweek podcasts that are short reflections on that. Those have been really helpful for me as well. And as I, as I contemplate um, heaven, uh, the book Surprised by Hope uh, by N.T. Wright was also something that was really powerful as well. And to uh, help me reorient my heart and get my mind in the right place. So in closing, I'm gonna read a quick passage uh, that from Time Magazine that, um, speaking about, right, this is a, an article he wrote for Time Magazine about the resurrection. And uh, I just wanna read this, and then we will pray and step into communion, okay? Awesome. Most important is a new, or rather very old way of seeing Christian mission. If the only point was to save souls from the wreck of the world so they can leave and go to heaven, why bother to make the world a better place? But if God is going to do for the whole creation, what he did at Jesus in his resurrection, to bring them back here on earth, then those who have been rescued by the gospel have a part to play right now in the advanced renewal of the world. God will put the whole world to right, this worldview says, and in justification, he puts people right by the gospel to be part of his putting right project for the world. Christian mission includes bringing real advanced signs of new creation into the present world in healing in beauty, in celebrating the new creation and lamenting the continuing pain of the old. To pray that God would give us insight and direction for his kingdom, we ask uh, that he would bring heaven to earth. Let it be so with us on the north side, fully aware that God has the final word and that we of his church has a role to play in bringing that to life. Amen. Amen.